It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the inspired team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, your host and one of the advisors on the show, along with me, my business partners and colleagues at Corhorn Financial Group, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Yeah, over and over again, we've been asked by people whether it's wise to own rental real estate as an investment. And I do believe I get asked that question about as often as I get asked the question, should I own gold in my portfolio? Well, we've seen the good and the bad and the ugly when it comes to owning rental real estate. And for today's show, we've assembled a list of guiding principles that seem to separate those who have succeeded at investing in in rental real estate from those who have not. So if you've ever wondered if you should own rental real estate as an investment, you're not going to want to miss this episode. And like you said, just about everyone has wondered this at one time or another. So, folks, this is your show. Go to wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, at Wise Money Radio. We've increased the activity there, pushing more content and all of that. So, would love for you to be involved and like the show. Okay, we posted a question of the week last week on the Facebook page at Wise Money Radio about have you ever owned rental property? And if you have, what'd you like about it? What did you not like about it? Again, as Kevin mentioned, we get this question all the time from folks. And uh, and so we're gonna be breaking down some of these guiding principles that we've seen. So let's first talk about what's so appealing and potentially beneficial about owning rental real estate. You know, every time I think about rental real estate, I am reminded of one of the very first books I ever read after I was done studying for my CFP, my Certified Financial Planning designation early on in my career, was a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, yeah, written by Robert Kiyosaki. You've probably heard of it. Very yep. popular book. Huge, hugely popular book. I think, Kevin, you may have even been the one that recommended it to me, although I don't remember you asking me to do a book report on it, though. Nope, that was the boys. With your kids. <laughs> if you want a glimpse into growing up Corhorn, just know that if, if you ask mom or dad for something, there may be a book that you have to read and write a book report on in order to earn that little goodie, right? You might even need to make a presentation to my <laughs> business partners. That's right. That's right. So his boys presented this book to us, and they did an awesome job. But you know, one of the, the most important principles that was presented in that book that I often refer back to with clients is this idea that he presents is uh, that rich people invest in uh, assets and poor people invest in liabilities. And he defines those. He, he says that an investment is something that generates income for you and a liability is something that generates expenses for you. And of course, you know, he, he is renowned for making a fortune in real estate himself. And it, it's hard to not read that book and come away thinking, man, I've got to jump into real estate myself. In fact, a lot of clients read it and that's the first thing they say, I need to buy a rental property. Yeah, how but, can we do this? Yeah. That's right. But the, they miss the point, though, I think, that uh, what he's really saying is get into investments or assets that can generate income. 
And real estate is certainly one of those. It has a lot of appeal to people because it's something tangible. You can go walk in it. Everyone has either lived in or owned a home themselves at some point or another. So it just seems more understandable than the other types of investments like stocks and bonds and, and things like that. So it has some inherent appeal to people just purely because it may be easier to understand. One of my friends, one of my closest friends that I grew up with came to me with this question when, oh gosh, it's probably a decade ago. And I know he's listening right now, but he had the idea about getting into rental real estate purely just because he said, hey, if I can own a house and have someone else pay the mortgage and in 15 years own the house outright, that's a sweet investment. And it really target hard to argue with that. I mean, the logic presented with that idea inherently makes just a lot of sense. Well, yeah. and you just alluded to one of the appealing features of it is that you can borrow money to go buy this asset. That's right. right yeah. You know, it doesn't take $100,000 to control a $100,000 asset. You can borrow the bank's money. And as you said, have someone else make the payments for you. Yeah. And as you presented it, Mike, that is the perfect investment. Yeah. I buy a house. I rent it out. I pay some expenses, pocket the difference. It's fabulous. But here's the issue. It's not perfect. And we, right. <laughs> and we all know that. We're going to talk about some of those guiding principles in just a minute. But for every person that we've seen do uh, f uh, rental real estate, do it well, we've seen a handful that have done it poorly. And we've just seen a lot of mistakes in, in our career. And I want to talk through some of those mistakes, some of those biggest mistakes, before we talk about these guiding principles. Well, one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen is back when money was really easy to come by, and you, if you were going to buy a house, you could do an 80% mortgage and then do a, a home equity line of credit, get another 20%. So you basically borrowed 100% of the home's value, and you're doing the math, and you're saying it works, it works, it works, it works, and then property taxes go up. Hmm and all of a sudden it doesn't work and I'm upside down and backwards and I have to put money with it every month just to get it, just to make it work. And then my tenant moves out and then my tenant, unbeknownst to me, had what we refer to in the business as the $10,000 cat. So <laughs> I've, I've got to... Well, that stinks. Yeah, uh, literally. And so I've got to replace all the carpet and, and repaint everything. And, and so... Um, there, there are a lot of surprises that can come in owning real estate that if you're not well prepared for, they can, um, I've seen it take people out of the business completely. Yeah, I, I, I had a client come about, oh, right before the crash, I think it was 06, 07, came in and, uh, and they would buy rentals, but fixer-uppers. So they'd buy a house real cheap and then put 15 to 20 grand in it and then rent it. Here's the issue, though. They had no plan for where to get the money to do the fixing upping, if mm. you will. And so, I mean, that was going on credit cards. Huge oh. mistake. And so it was this kind of downward spiral where they were robbing Peter to pay Paul and, and so on, playing the shell game. And, and ultimately, it caught up to them even before the real estate market crashed. It's a really sad story. They were able to do it effectively. Uh, and I put an asterisk there, uh, for about three years and got the illusion that this was working. But it wasn't. They were using someone else's money. High interest rates just was not a good idea. Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason why people do that is you can watch, if you like to watch infomercials, and back in the day it was Carlton Sheets, but there's all these different types of programs that where you can become a, a real estate millionaire. Yeah. And people get pulled into this and they get emotionally drawn in. And then they do something like use a credit card to go to Lowe's and, you know, run up ten or fifteen thousand dollars of home improvements on a credit card for a 
a house that they may not be able to even rent out. You know, part of the reason uh, borrowing too much money is, is such a, a huge problem uh, is sometimes it makes it too easy to overpay for the house as well. You know, you, you don't buy the house at the right price, or maybe you put too much money into the house. I, I've seen a lot of folks who, it, it's almost like they're fixing up the rental as if it's going to be a home that they would live in as their primary residence. So they're putting stuff in that they like and that uh, maybe costs more than what you really should be putting into a rental if you're going to be replacing that carpet every three or four years or, or whatever. That's right. So being careful about how much money you invest is important. And I, th- I think there are a couple other common misconceptions when you look at rental real estate that I've seen, you say, well, what what could go wrong with rental real estate? One of the things that I've seen is people think, well, hey, if I get a mortgage on this rental real estate, I can deduct my mortgage payment. And you want to remember, you can deduct the interest component of that mortgage payment. You can't deduct the whole thing. And then they think, well, I'm going to do a roof or I'm going to do a major improvement. And so I'll have this expense that's going to help me on my taxes this year. And what they don't realize is a lot of these improvements have to be uh, amortized and spread out over a number of years. That's right. In other words, you don't get the whole write-off. Every dollar that you spend isn't a write-off in the year that you spent it. You have to spread it out over the life of that house, which you know changes the tax picture pretty dramatically. It's one of the hardest things for a lot of new rental owners to get their mind wrapped around are the tax consequences. You know, one of the other mistakes I think I've, I've seen quite often is just getting the wrong tenants in there. You know, mm-hmm. not having a disciplined, structured process for screening people, making sure that you're going to get someone in there who will treat the house right and not trash it, leaving you with all kinds of repairs and maintenance to do uh, when you're ready to rent it out a second time. Yeah. Finally, I would also mention one of the big mistakes is people just don't have a separate bank account for this rental. It just all gets commingled with their personal stuff and instead of running it like a business. So they have a hard time tracking it, don't have emergency funds set up and all of that. So... Um, so I've seen that bite a lot of people as well. So because of all those mistakes, but also because this is such a popular idea, our experience has kind of distilled it down to if you're going to be successful in owning rental real estate, there are four guiding principles, and we're going to launch into those here next and then hit listener questions on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike. I've got Josh and Kevin with me in the studio. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. And yeah, today is all about rental real estate, and we're going to be hitting listener questions as well. I actually stirred up a little controversy after last program, so we've got that to look forward to later on in the show. But So rental real estate, such a big idea, such a compelling idea to add that as a component of your financial life. We've seen a lot of people do it well. Uh, sadly, we've seen a lot more, more than that. A lot more people uh, do it poorly. And from that experience, we have kind of distilled it down to really four guiding principles for qualities or truths, if you will, that you need to live by if you're hoping to have enduring success in rental real estate. Look at this maybe as a barometer as to should I pursue this or is it just an interesting idea that maybe isn't right for me? And and so, yeah, I would call these guiding principles or truths 
And if you, we've seen lots of people avoid them or skirt them for a season. Um, but for many people, if you avoid one of these, it ends up catching up to you and costing you dearly. So the first guiding principle, and these guys, by the way, these are all logical. It's not brain surgery. So when we say this, you're going to say, well, of course. However, a lot of people try and avoid these and get around it. So the first guiding principle to having success owning rental real estate is you've got to have time. You've got to have time to devote to running this business, running that business of having a rental property. Yeah. You know, that's maybe one of the most practical of these principles because you know, not everybody is in a phase of life where they can devote the time to be responsive when things go wrong or when you, you hit a stretch of time where you don't have a tenant in the property and so you're having to out be out there marketing the the, the property, getting tenants in, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, just being aware that it's going to take time to deal with issues when, when they arise. Tenants are going to expect you to be Johnny on the spot when the furnace is out or when the pipes are leaking, that kind of thing. You can't say, hey, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm working my day job. I'll get to it this evening or this weekend or something. You got to have a, a quick, uh, quick response. You also have to have time uh, to deal with a bad tenant. Yes. You know, sometimes you get people in there that unfortunately it's going to take legal action for you to, to seek some sort of a remedy because things just escalate to, to such a problem. That that will be a distraction in your life for sure. And, uh, you know, another thing is just dealing with the day-to-day accounting functions of the business. You, you referred to it as a business, Mike. I think that's a right approach to, uh, to think of your rental properties with. And there's accounting that comes with it. There's tax planning that goes with that. And it all takes time. You hit all of those on my list. I, and I would just lastly say, be realistic with yourself. Be yeah. truthful. I mean, I think you heard this and said, well, yeah, of course it's going to take time, but I could make so much money. Yeah, be realistic. Do you have the time to devote to this? Yeah, I would ask myself the question, what do I want to think about? Do I want to think about, hey, this weekend we're free, we can go tailgating and watch the game, or hey, let's get up early Saturday morning because we need to go and make those repairs and do this other thing. That's exactly I mean, right. And, and, and if your hobbies are fixing things and repairing houses and you love doing that, you might be the right person for that. But, you know, when, when people get into this, a lot of times it's an emotional decision. Hey, I want to get into this. I might not have a great plan for necessarily doing it. And I'd say, well, what are you doing with your extra time now? That's right. I mean, if all you're doing is sitting around watching The Bachelorette or something like that, you might have some time. <laughs> To go, it might be used Why'd better. Why did you look at Mike when You're you said that? No. <laughs> all right. Season four. But I'm, I'm just telling you, <laughs> if you've got extra time, then maybe it makes sense. But if you look and there's no margin in your life, and there's not considerable margin in your life, you may not want to even consider it, even though it looks so good on the infomercial. So guiding principle number one is you've got to have time, devote that time, be honest with yourself, folks. Guiding, number, guiding principle number two is you need capital. You need resources, you need money to get this started, either for a down payment or an emergency fund or to cover your costs before you get a renter or, and all of that. And, uh, you know, that, again, seems logical, but yet so many people, Kevin, your example earlier, my example of the folks doing this on credit cards, people just kind of avoid this one. But it, but it takes capital to do rental real estate right. Absolutely. And I, I think... In, in today's market, the, the best way to approach that is to self-fund yourself, even yeah. though people say, well, hey, it's really inexpensive for me to go borrow money and buy this house. Uh, to Josh's point, if I'm using other people's money, I'm just not as careful. 
So I want if I'm using my own money, I'm much, much, much more careful. And it can serve as a governor as far as how quickly I move to uh, create my real estate empire. You know, I had a, a client once. This is a classic example of someone who comes in after they've already made a whole bunch of decisions in their life, and then they're looking for validation or, or some sort of confirmation. Hey, did, was this a good idea? And he had um, received an insurance settlement from an accident, and he used it to place a down payment on a big multi-unit apartment complex, essentially. Big decision. Yeah. Uh, this was a major, major uh, purchase that he made, but he didn't he didn't have enough money in addition to that to do all of the repairs and the maintenance. He had a couple uh, of the units that weren't even rentable because there were repairs that needed to be done and he didn't have the dollars to do it. So he had basically a, a part of his asset there was just sitting idle, not really doing anything for him. And ultimately he, he ended up getting into uh, a struggle because of this property and had to cash in some long-term investments just to be able to keep feeding the, the rental property, doing repairs and, and maintenance on this. So yeah. keep track of the fact it's not just about can you acquire the property, but can you maintain it and, and uh, keep it up. Yeah, and, and wise rule of thumbs there, as I've already mentioned, I mean, you should have a separate bank account for this. You should have a separate emergency fund for this. And you should think through how long can this rental go without a tenant yeah. before I go bankrupt. That's great right? advice. You've got you've to consider this. All of that points to guiding principle number two, you need capital. Guiding principle number three is you need to have some skill. Okay, if you're going to run a rental property and every time the doorknob breaks or jiggles too much or whatever, every little minor issue, if you've got to outsource that to someone, this could get very expensive and really reduce your margins. Now, I'm a great spokesperson for this because I have zero <laughs> skill. Okay, I have to look up the manual online to change a light bulb. Um, it is a joke around my house how awful I am at kind of handyman work or fix it work around the house. That makes me not a great candidate to have a rental property. Now the solution seems very simple. You say, well, I'll just hire a property manager, pay them 10% of the rent, they'll do all of that. However, I have seen that come crashing down time and time again. The great property managers, managers who have the time to devote and the skill are in high demand. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of people who have sought a property manager, paid them something upfront, and then never get what they were promised and it's been an awful experience. Not that it doesn't exist, it's just not quite as perfect as it seems like it will be in your mind. Yeah, it seems to me that the people that are most successful with rental real estate are people that are truly do-it-yourselfers, but the, the deceiving thing is you think, well, hey, I'm kind of handy, I, I can change that doorknob that Mike was talking about, and that's great, but do you understand insurance and how insurance works and how insurance for a rental property is different than insurance on your own home and other types of insurance? Do you understand accounting and bookkeeping? Can you do it yourself? I just, a couple of weeks ago, I, I met with a good friend of mine who's very successful in rental real estate. And he said, you know what? I, I just want your accounting firm to do it for me. I'm not going to do it. I, I've tried. It's not working. I'm not going to do it. What about legal? Are you good at setting up an LLC, having your LLC own your uh, property? Should your trust own your LLC? What what types of things should you be considering and getting done? And all of these things take time 
and money, and they, they take RAM space in your brain. You have to be thinking about these things and get them right. So you want to have a good plan. And most people, once they start getting into it and realizing this very simple idea is so complex, it, it, uh, it gets them out of it. Yeah. One of the other reasons why you need skill is if you are going to outsource, say you have a big repair that's needed, and you don't really know anything about how the carburetor belt works on your house or something like that, <laughs> uh, you could get taken to the cleaners if someone comes in. I've got this issue right now. Squirrels are in my roof, folks. If you're a roofer, give me a call. I've got an emergency at my house. If that was my rental and someone came out and said, oh, yeah, you need a new roof, I wouldn't know. Okay, uh, is, is, is that true or do I just need to patch up where the squirrels have gotten in? So. Again, once again, I am not a good candidate for rental real estate. So, <laughs> folks, we've got the fourth principle, fourth guiding principle coming up. To me, it's my favorite. When we were coming up with these, I came up with the first three, and Kevin said, no, there is this fourth one. So you're going to want to hear that. Plus, we've got a controversial question we're going to be hitting, all that and more on Wise Money with Forehorn Finance Group, News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. My name's Mike. I've got Josh and Kevin with me in the studio. Special thanks once again to the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. That content so far has all been focused on rental real estate and how to make that a wise investment and really whether it's something you should consider. A lot of people have considered it. Some have done it well. A lot more have done it poorly. And so we're talking through some of the guiding principles, these um, unwavering truths, if you will, that you should consider. Hey, if you got a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com, as well as check us out on Facebook, at Wise Money Show, and you can get all the show prep, get question of the week, and all of that. We're going to be pushing a lot more content out there. So, okay, guiding principle number four is my favorite, and that is, in order to do rental real estate well, you've got to love confrontation, which I... I, I that is spoken from experience, if you will. So I, I definitely think that is a truth that you need to be aware of before you launch into rental real estate. Well, I think the point you're making is that in addition to needing certain skills and having capital and... Um, having time. Yep, having time. But you also need to have the right disposition. There, there's a personality factor uh, or a skill with people that you have to work into this as well. And uh, especially when there's conflict involved. And I, I, I have a client who owns a very unique rental property. It's a retail space and he has lots of tenants and uh, each one has kind of their own little unit, but they then also have a, a common space. And he had a, a problem develop with some of the tenants where they were starting to creep out into the common space and were essentially using square footage that they weren't paying for. Ah. And it was a really tough conversation for him to face because you know he, he wants to have a good relationship with these people. Some of them are friends and, and so on. And it got to the point where he just, he, he couldn't have the conversations as directly as he needed to be or as often as they needed to be had. And so ultimately, he kind of handed it over to a property manager. Hmm. It was a big enough property that the economics made sense for that. But uh, e even things like getting the rent set correctly. 
um, you know, not not undercharging yourself just because. Uh, and in his particular case, he had some folks that he was charging below market rent because he knew that they were a business startup, and he didn't want to be the cause of them their business to fail ultimately. Yeah. So he he's ultimately losing money for their benefit, kind of subsidizing their benefit or, or their their business. And all of that went away when he was able to delegate it because he knew I, I don't have the skill to do this or I don't have the personality to do it. I don't want to do it. And he handed it off to a, a professional. You know what? So I told you this was the question of the week this past week. And we had a fan of the show write in and say, yes, I've done rental real estate, but I might not be that good at it because I was such a sucker for the sob story and uh, was a little soft on collecting rent. Because as a landlord, sometimes you need to make tough decisions with real people, with real consequences to either charge that higher rent or a surcharge or late fee and sometimes even evict. I mean, that's what you're signing up for if you're going to be a landlord. So. Good point. And you have to think about that. How is it going to feel when I go up to the door and I knock on the door and people come out and maybe even threaten me or say unkind things to me or these types of things are happening and you say well does that give me energy or does that suck the life out of me and if you if you can't do it emotionally unemotional unemotional well i think i think your your emotional competence if your emotional competence isn't in a place where you can handle that i think you have to say hey i'm going to pass on this and one of the things that i don't i don't think we said but you know when we're talking about real estate there is a difference between rental real estate and investment real estate and we do believe that almost everyone should have some uh, form of real estate in their portfolio. But again, that's different. That's with real estate investment trusts and other things different than uh, privately owned residential real estate. So let's recap here these four guiding principles before we transition into questions, because really there's just a few big takeaways, but you also need to confirm, all right, if you're thinking about rental real estate, is it right for you? Yep. So the, the four guiding principles you want to consider, number one, do you have the time? Do you have the extra time? Number two, do you have the capital or easy access to the capital? Number three, do you have the skill? And there, as we mentioned, there are multiple skill sets that you need. And number four, do you love confrontation? And when you're talked about in your circle of friends, do they say, man, Mike is just awesome at confrontation. I like it when he brings up tough subjects to me. <laughs> <laughs> because folks, real, rental real estate can be a great investment, but let's be honest, it's not for everyone. And so be honest with yourself about those guiding principles, how they stack up to you. And then second takeaway is there are guiding principles to how you should manage your financial life. We're talking about them today as they relate to rental real estate, but there are much more that we're going to be breaking down on the Wise Money Show. So, all right. Speaking of some confrontation. <laughs> we got to direct uh, or, or discuss an issue that came up last week, and that's going to be launching us into listener questions. So last week, we had a fan of the show, Joel, send us a question on wisemoneyradio.com, basically asking whether he should be upset about his realtor charging 6.5% to sell his house, when just a few years ago, that same commission rate was with the same realtor was 6%. And before we answered it on the show, Josh called Joel to get more information. And it turns out he was he had some confusion about how real estate professionals were paid. And so not only did we answer Joel's question on the show of whether six to six and a half percent was the right range, we also touched on, okay, here's how real estate professionals get paid. And we mentioned the warning that sometimes if you don't have a 
buying agent representing you as the buyer, the selling agent might try to represent both parties. And we just cautioned that. Well, that got a reaction from listener John. And he submitted a great question, called in to 574-222-2000. Here's what he said. I listened to last week's show and heard the exchange about the real estate cost and commission regarding an agent representing both a buyer and seller. Next time you're going to have a discussion about real estate and dual agency when a realtor is representing both seller and a buyer, it's called dual agency. You need to provide written notice and it can work very well. Very often a realtor can assist both parties and do it fairly. Anyway, next time I would suggest you get a seasoned real, real estate professional on the show rather than speculating about commissions and dual agency. <laughs> Thank you for the question, John. Uh, appreciate that. In fact, and I don't know how much uh, of the show John, you listened to last time because actually we did have our one of our favorite realtors, Diane Bennett. Um, we tried to get her on the show to answer that question. She was unavailable, moving her uh, her youngest into college, but we got her full answer and we reviewed Diane Bennett, a seasoned real estate professional, someone I trust. We reviewed her question right there on the air. So I'm not sure how much he listened to, um, but the other thing is this show. Uh, well, we didn't say that. It's illegal to do that. So, John, you're absolutely right. It's it's certainly legal to do. You can do it. We just said our advice would be main, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, it's maybe not the most wise way to structure the relationship with a real estate agent. Yeah, right? I believe even Casey chimed in and said in some states it's illegal to do that. Other states it's totally legal, and, and that's fine. Certainly, John says he's he's got that figured out, and it's legal here, but probably something... You, you know, you shouldn't do if you had the, if they had the option. So I think you're saying we, we stand by our original advice, right? That's right. That yeah. even if you can uh, have a dual uh, agency type relationship, it doesn't mean that you should. And right. our preference, our advice certainly to our clients is get someone who is working for you exclusively in your corner. And John, thanks for your feedback. Thanks for the debate that it kind of sparks. But uh since we've got the mic, we get the final word here. Yeah, we did want to say thanks, uh, John, for listening. That's right. All right, next question. We're going to tuck this in. This is also a little bit of controversy from listener Jeff. Hello, gentlemen. I listen to your program periodically and appreciate your perspective and wisdom. However, I would bring your attention to you, bring your attention to you that you're using the wrong Huey Lewis song as bumper music. I want a new drug. Doesn't suit the purpose of the show, like <laughs> hip to be square wood. What do you think? I love it. I actually sent Jeff a response. Kevin's got an emotional attachment to hip to be drug. Or, sorry, <laughs> hip to be drug. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I want a new drug. He's got an emotional attachment to that song. Well, I do like that song. And I saw Huey Lewis in the news in concert at Laguna Seca Raceway in California in 1987. And so I, I love Huey Lewis in the news and especially the, 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 the wind up to I want a new drug. I, there's, I'm sure there's a fancy term for that, but I like how that gets you going. Casey? I, I just want everybody to know that I was overruled on bumper music because I wanted the million dollar man's money, money, money song. And with the evil, sinister laugh, you're an old WWF fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was overruled, but I tried. So uh, Hip to Be Square reminds me of Jack, uh, Jeff Nicholas and Rob Anderson and all the guys that I went to high school with. Uh, and we enjoyed those uh, those songs. But uh, I Want a New Drug, is uh, that's our, our song. Well, listen, folks, enjoy this bumper music right now. We're going to be coming back with more questions from you, fans of the show, here on Wise Money with Four Financial Group, News Talk 95.3, Ms. Jansen's channel.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hey folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name's Mike Bernard, got Ken, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory in the MNC studios with me. If you missed anything, it's been a fun show. If you've ever thought about owning rental real estate, you're going to want to listen to this one on the podcast if you missed anything, because we talked about the, fourth tru- the four truths or guiding principles that you need to have if you're going to consider that. Also just answered some controversial questions, uh, some feedback by two fans of the show. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jeff, for your feedback and your listenership. If you have a question for the show, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Lastly, we've got question of the week. We've got show prep. We've got other issues going out on Wise Money at Wise Money Radio on Facebook and Twitter. So join the conversation throughout the week. Like us there and get all those updates. All right. We've got a few more questions to hit. Some great ones here. The next one is from Shane from Granger. He's 51. I hear you guys talk about using a 529 plan to save up for my kid's college. And I know you guys are fans of the plan in Indiana. I live in Indiana, but I've been reluctant to use it because I don't think my kids will go to school in Indiana and don't want to limit them in that way. What do you suggest? Well, I I think our first response needs to be to put Shane's mind at ease on this. Um, and, And I guess just reassure you that even if your kids don't go to school in Indiana, uh, you'll still be able to use the dollars uh, for their benefit as long as they're using them for qualified education expenses. That's what the Internal Revenue Code, that's the term that it uses uh, to determine whether or not money coming out of the 529 plan comes out tax-free to you, as we've always said on the show it, it would. But the things that are counted as qualified education expenses are things like room and board, Um, which could be rent and utilities, things like that, up to certain limits. Uh, It'd be tuition, your books, even a computer purchase could be um, deemed to be qualified education expenses. And then some of the other mandatory fees that a school may charge you just for uh, being in attendance. But um, you're not limited to those expenses being incurred in your own home state or the state that the 529 plan is set up in either. Uh, it can be a public school, a private school, undergraduate or graduate school, two-year, four-year, whatever. Um, the, the determining factor is actually, it has more to do with, is the school eligible to participate in the U.S. Department Edu- of Education's um, student financial aid programs? That's so what... Do they has, participate in FAFSA? Th- yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... Yeah. And I think, Shane, you know, the, you've brought up an interesting point. We do talk about the 529 plan a lot on this show. And the 529 plan, because the, the state of Indiana has such a good deal. If you put $5,000 in, you can get a 20% credit on your taxes up to $1,000. On your state tax. On your Indiana state taxes, a credit is, is far superior to a deduction. So we love the Indiana 529 plan if you live in Indiana. But you should also be aware, Shane, there's there's the educational savings account and there's also the 529 private college prepaid plan. So there are a lot of different structures 
recommend a lot of different strategies that you can use to plan for your kid's education. And what we would encourage you to do is seek out a certified financial planner and get uh, a plan that works for you. Right. It's got to be custom fit to your unique situation. Our favorite, though, for most folks, is the 529 works well, especially if you live in Indiana. I'm going to uh, post to Facebook and the blog a, an article about the seven most common myths with a 529 plan. Extremely helpful because I think there are a lot of folks out there who are reluctant to use a 529 plan just purely because they don't quite understand how it works. I would actually say that's probably true about a lot of financial tools. Well, I don't really know how it works, so I'm going to avoid using it. Yeah, that's logical. So that, again, is part of the purpose of the Wise Money Show, to explain how these things work so you can make an educated decision. So these yeah, seven I would myths, correct you there. What? That is the purpose of having a financial advisor in thank your you. life. Yes, thank right? you. Because a financial advisor is going to look at your unique individual situation and help you decide which of these tools make sense and which ones um, you know, you're just not eligible for it. Yeah, so perfect. get, get that relationship in place if you don't have it already. Okay. All right. Great question, Shane. I think a lot of other people are confused by that too. In these myths, you're going to want to read it because the other question is, what if my kid gets a scholarship? Uh, what if, uh, what if, what if I don't live in Michigan or Indiana and can I use another state's 529 plan? You know, those are all common, uh, questions that people have. So check out that article at Wise Money Radio on Facebook and on the blog at wisemoneyradio.com. And yeah, just to get the last word in here, Shane, a, a lot of times people say in, uh, Shane, you're 51. So I'm assuming your kids are very close to college age, if not in college. And people say, well, I wouldn't use a 529 because that's a longer term investment for a short term goal that I have. And that's true if you live in most other states, but that's not true if you live in Indiana. You can put the money in and pull it out the same year. Uh, for the purpose of education and get your credit. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's one of the myths as yeah, well. It's definitely. only for young people. No, it's not. No, that, that'd be a myth. Okay, next question is from Will from Niles. He's 61. All right, he says, he's, I'm down to $70,000 due on my mortgage, but my interest rate's around 4.5%. If I keep paying like usual, I should have my mortgage paid off in nine years. So he's 61, nine years, so that'd be by age 70. Okay. However, I know I could refinance and have a lower interest rate, but it would reset my mortgage to 15 or 30 years, whichever I chose. Should I keep paying like normal, or would you suggest I refinance? You know, by historical uh, standards, a 4.5% mortgage is not bad at all. I mean, that's that's worth bragging to your parents and grandparents uh, about, right? But um, by today's standards, you actually do have some room to maybe refinance something uh, like this and save a little bit of, of interest. The problem is your mortgage is down to a small enough size that any type of closing costs that you would incur would eat up some of the interest savings. And, um, you know, I, I kind of reverse engineered your mortgage a little bit here and estimated that you have somewhere in the 15,000 range of interest left to be paid on this loan. Hey folks, who's the nerd now? Yeah, Way to go, Josh. Up, Mike? <laughs> I'm encroaching on your space here. <laughs> on my status. <laughs> but you could get that down into the 9,000 range by refinancing to a 15-year mortgage if you were to use uh, a tool that we've, we've hit and highlighted on this uh, show before, something called a no-closing-cost 
refinance or no closing cost mortgage. Some banks are offering this type of a tool. They basically roll the cost into the loan. You don't pay anything out of pocket, but instead you have a slightly higher interest rate. So maybe you're at 3% instead of just below 3% right now. That could still be a good deal for you. It could save you six grand. If you were to keep on paying the same payment that you have been used to paying on this current loan, you may be able to shave somewhere in the six to seven months off of the loan. That might not sound like a lot, but again, I would point out that that's six grand worth of interest savings potentially. So you're saying refinance using a no closing cost, which I I love that idea and certainly something to be aware of, but then keep making your same payment. And if you refinance to a 15 year, you'll pay it off six months early. Or are you saying paying it off six months earlier than his current That's schedule. Right. Yes. Okay. So so it, it'd take you about eight and a half years to pay off that 15-year mortgage if you just kept on making the same payments. Again, this it all depends on what kind of interest rate you'd be able to get and everything. And we don't even know enough about your situation to know that that is the, the right solution necessarily. However, I, I would challenge you at least put the bug in your ear to not settle for eight and a half years. What if, you know, paying a little extra could get this thing done before retirement and you could march into retirement completely debt free. You're 61. It would take about $450 more per month to get it done in about five years. You could be done right around the time that you're reaching full retirement age for social security. Yeah, I I agree with Josh. Our preference would be you make it a goal to get this thing paid off in however many years before you retire. So mm-hmm. if you're going to retire at 65, just make your goal and, and crunch the numbers. What is it going to take to get rid of this mortgage before I retire? And you can determine, hey, am I better off refinancing or not? Refinancing would be a tool to adjust your cash flow because I'm assuming, you know, uh, 30 years, your payment would be about 314 bucks on that. So if you needed to adjust, adjust your cash flow and there are other extenuating circumstances, it might make sense to do that, but that's where you really want to work closely with a certified financial planner, not just make a decision in a vacuum. Well, an example of that would be someone who's not ready for retirement. They don't have enough saved up. Yeah. Freeing up cash flow could give you the opportunity to stuff away some more money for retirement if you're behind on that goal. Make sure if you refinance, you do not have a prepayment penalty. So Good call. once again, I want to point you guys to the Facebook page at Wise Money Radio to get more resources and information about today's show or really just the Wise Money Show in general. If you missed anything, check out the podcast, even subscribe to it on iTunes. Thanks for listening today, folks. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, and the rest of us at Corhorn Finance Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on Wise Money with Corhorn Finance Group, 95.3 MNC. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Joint business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.